The mission of the Pennsylvania Department of Education is to ensure that every learner has access to a world-class education system. Welcome to PDE Presents, a podcast series for lifelong learners that's dedicated to elevating voices across the Commonwealth. And now your host, Noe Ortega. Welcome to PDE Presents. I'm your host, Noe Ortega. PDE Presents is part of a broader strategy by the Pennsylvania Department of Education aimed at changing the way that we think and talk about the mission and outcomes of education in the Commonwealth and across the country. Through this strategy, the department aims to shine a spotlight on the greater public good and collective mission of education. This podcast invites school leaders, educators, and other stakeholders to participate in conversations that unpack contemporary topics in education with a particular focus on equity. My guest today is Dr. Laura Jacob, the superintendent of California Area School District in Southwestern PA. She started her career as a high school English teacher and served as an educational technology coach with Classrooms for the Future. Her administrative experience includes being an assistant elementary principal, an assistant middle school principal, and a director of technology, and an assistant superintendent. Her undergraduate, master's, and doctoral degrees come from Duquesne University, and she holds a certificate in advanced educational leadership and certificate in school management and leadership from Harvard University. Welcome to BDE Presents, Dr. Jacob. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Fantastic. So can we begin real quickly? Laura, October is Down Syndrome Awareness Month. And we wanted to take some time on today's podcast to highlight how Pennsylvania schools are meeting the needs of our students with special needs. Can you talk to us a little bit about how California Area School District is approaching this work? Yes, so through the support of the Universal Design for Learning grants provided through the Office of Special Education, we've worked to take a three-tiered approach with the work. Uh, First, we're working on developing the professional capacity of our educators and that's by providing them professional learning, working on curriculum redesign, as well as building the capacity of teacher leaders to guide their peers. And one of the reasons why we really gravitate towards universal design for learning as a framework is the fact that we're planning our lessons now for the variability of learners prior to the lesson being delivered. So the needs of students are part of the lesson plan and they're developed before the lesson even starts. So this may include providing text-to-speech during the lesson, a menu of options to demonstrate knowledge on the student's behalf, uh, incorporating goal setting, student choice stations, flexible seating as well, or even utilizing physical action to help make that learning become permanent. And this differs from a more traditional IEP approach where the teacher will design the lesson and then in the review of the IEP, provide those traditional accommodations or modifications uh, for students that have special needs. So it treats the instruction of students with special needs as an afterthought. And so we want to change that framework. And we re- that's what really tied us to the universal design for learning framework. And so the second tier of this approach is that we're also working with our administrative team. So part of our administrative staff meetings, we're reading Universal Design Leadership by Dr. Novak, and we're reflecting on our practices during those monthly administrative staff meetings. Uh, We really reflect on that neurodiversity of our learners. And when I say learners, I mean all learners, both our student learners as well as our adult learners. 
And so we know that, you know, this work is, is critical for the adults in our organization and their impact uh, on children in the overall uh, educational uh, organization. And one of the one of the interesting stories I like to reflect on that happened at California Area School District is what we call the two ranch dressing story, and it's a it's a true uh, example of uh, equality versus equity. And so we have a student who um, would uh, would absolutely loves ranch dressing at at the uh, at the lunch table. And so this child definitely uh, utilizes every bit of, of his ranch dressing. And as he was going through the line, we, uh, he was given only one packet of ranch dressing because that was traditional standard protocol, one pa packet of ranch dressing uh, as you're going through the line. However, this child absolutely loves his ranch dressing and wants to utilize two packets. So you have the equity of every child is given one packet of ranch dressing, yet this this child wanted more. And what, what happened was, is when this child didn't have that opportunity to have a little bit more ranch dressing with his meal, it caused a major meltdown at uh, after lunch um, and totally uh, dis dissuade his, um, his ability and, and his functioning for learning for the entire afternoon. It set his, his entire afternoon for learning off. And so it's interesting because it got even to my point in this discussion of one packet of ranch dressing versus two packets of ranch dressing. And it made me realize that all adults in the educational system in our organization had to realize that equity is not our approach for children. Uh, and all of you have uh, an impact on the education of children. The bus drivers, when they greet the children as they're getting on the bus, the individuals that are cleaning up our schools and making sure that they are safe learning environments for our children to be successful, and our school cafeteria staff who are working hard to make sure that all children have the sustenance that they need in order to learn. And so I, we now approach that work and having that discussion that all of our uh, all of our members in our school organization have a significant impact on the educational experiences of our children. And sometimes our children need one ranch dressing, but sometimes they need two, and that's okay. And and so we it really caused us to have a more universal discussion on equity versus equality uh, for children. And and so that that really helped frame where we want to go, uh, where we're going in the future. And, and finally, we work with our, our parents uh, and guardians with this work with Universal Design for Learning. We have monthly parent university sessions. And so we utilize the Universal Design for Learning framework in meeting the needs of our parents uh, and, and guardians by utilizing Facebook Live as well as YouTube in order to reach them better. Dr. Jacob, I really do appreciate the examples that you provided. And I think in many ways it speaks to understanding sort of the structural part, the universal design element when it comes to instruction. And I do think that this is something that in many cases our conversations take for granted when we're talking about uh, the needs of students, right? And I think what you've laid out is a real understanding holistically of all the pieces that go into what essentially is the ecosystem that this young individual is going to engage in and all those things are valuable uh, to the outcomes of learning in the classroom. Dr. Jacob, there's no doubt that this past year has changed the educational landscape forever. What do you feel is one of the most pressing matters in the field of education and special education in particular? 
Yep. Yeah. There's no doubt this past year has changed it. And, and for me, there's no doubt that the most pressing matter continues to be, and especially in special education is the, uh, is the inequity of education in, in the United States, not just the state of Pennsylvania, um, but in the United States. And I, I do feel that this past year didn't necessarily change that issue. It just exacerbated uh, the issue and the uh, inequity gaps in education. The, the pandemic really created a, a spotlight on the existing disparities that we have, both racial and economic in schools. Um, the pandemic showed us the inequity with access to digital resources, for example. Uh, we know that our children in black, Hispanic, low-income communities were far less likely to have access to computers or even the internet. Uh, if they had access, it was limited or often limited access through a cell phone. We had students that were completing English papers just through a cell phone. Um, which is, was their only option as far as uh, having access to the internet. And so when you look at the United States, uh, demography does determine destiny. Um, we focus so much on labels. A child is special ed, child has an IEP, is a Title I kid, is a low-income kid, is an ELL uh, kid, or is Hispanic, Black, African-American. Um, and then my most recent hated label that we've now added is pandemic kids. Uh, and we use those labels in education, I, I truly feel as excuses before the child even has an opportunity. And that leads to a perpetual inequity of learning opportunities for, for children. And I truly believe though, demography does not have to equate to destiny for our children. We as educational leaders need to challenge those beliefs and, and work to break the cycle of inequity in education. We have the ability to change the structural uh, inequity in education, um, and we can do that with school funding. I, I know that I'm not in this work to just decrease, decrease equity gaps uh, for children. I am absolutely determined to el eliminate the gaps for them. Dr. Jacob, I really do appreciate the spotlight that you, the reference to the spotlight on the disproportionality that has existed for many. And I think for our listeners here, many of them have been doing the work of championing, uh, closing the equity gaps for a long time. And while the pandemic has exacerbated some of these things, they're not new. And individuals such as yourself have been working to address them. I do appreciate the uh, extra emphasis on the idea of the continuation of labeling young children and putting them on a destiny, a path that sometimes becomes very constraining for them to undo. And I think these are important things as educators. We have to recognize some of, sometimes can be unintentional effects of things that we do with regards to characterizing individuals. Can you share with us, Dr. Jacob, how does your equity lens inform and frame the work you do each and every day? Sure, um, without a doubt, that equity lens is the determining factor in my daily decisions as a superintendent. Uh, it serves as my moral compass um, with all the decisions that we make. It includes the development of our district level budget, the amount of programs that we offer, how we staff our buildings, how we allocate and dedicate our time. All of those factors contribute and, and are guided with that sense of equity. Um, for me, equity truly is the determining factor for every child in our district. We know there's tremendous variability in the needs of our learners uh, that we serve. And we know that all children can learn. That is a firm belief that I have that all children can learn 
but our practices do not always align with that belief. And so we're working to ensure that all learners get the resources that they need in order to be successful learners. If a child needs two ranch dressings, then we're gonna do whatever we can to give them the two ranch dressings. So we know that education creates more informed citizens. We know that it, it leads to better job satisfaction, overall healthier lives. So at California, we do take that responsibility that we have to make a change and that we truly are the vehicle for children to be the change, change agent. Um, our equity lens is to be an advocate for our children. And I've discussed previously in the, in the last question about that achievement gap. Um, and we know now that we need to provide our low-income students with the advantages that their wealthier peers already enjoy. Appreciate that. And I feel, Dr. Jacob, you have been, uh, in many cases, emphasizing what you and your team have been doing to address the inequities. I wonder if you might share a few more examples with our lis listeners about what other things you and your team might be doing to break down the barriers. In particular, coming out of the pandemic, many of the conversations are about how are we going to reconstruct the systems of education with equity at the forefront. Could you speak, speak a little bit to that as well? Sure. And this, this is the part that I'm really excited about in, in reframing those systems. So we started a pilot class this year of students K through 12, where the students are not assigned a grade level and they receive no grades throughout the school year, uh, just feedback from their teachers. So each student has their own individualized educational program no matter if they typically qualify for an IEP or not, because we wanna utilize the best of that IEP experience. And we wanna focus on student abilities, not disabilities, but the students' abilities and develop an individualized educational program and set of goals for them, uh, and then design the learning experience around those goals. And so, because we know that children have variability uh, in their learning, so the concept that we still assign kids to grade levels based on age with all the data that we have in education uh, at our disposal, it's just not design centered around the needs of kids. So um, we know that that's, that's just a design around adults and, and standardization. Um, so we, we viewed that as more of that factory model, that one size fits all model. Um, we know that it worked back in the 1900s, but we are not working to create factory workers right now. We're looking to teach our children for their future um, and prepare them to be competitive for their future. So at California, we're working to personalize learning for our students and assigning to them to their classes based on their individual needs. So some students might be at age uh, grade three, but they may be in a second grade reading level and a fourth grade level in mathematics. We had some students that wanted to begin language learning a lot earlier than what they traditionally experience. And so we are doing that. So if a child is reading at a third grade le level, no matter what their age is, we're putting them in this pilot class in that third grade reading uh, class. If they're working on in mathematics based on say a second grade level, that's okay too. They're going into a second grade uh, level mathematics class. And it's all based upon where they are and where their learning is and adjusting it um, and centering it around the child, um, not just their, their age level. And so the second highlight of that pilot program um, is that the students do not get any grades for the entire year. No A, B, C, 
letter grades. Um, because we know in educational uh, psychology and with the research that we have, the moment that grades are given, the learning is stopped. Uh, children do not continue to, to push because they now have that grade. And so we're using this opportunity to really focus on feedback and giving high quality feedback, ensuring that the learning continues. So, and we've also seen with the pandemic, the social emotional barrier that the grades have caused for children. We had a high school student who is in this pilot program. Uh, she was on the verge of failing last year. She was paralyzed with grades um, that she was going, that she anticipated she was going to get. She didn't even know what grade she was going to get yet, but she was just so paralyzed. She knew the content, she knew how to do the work, but she did not turn it in because she was so scared as far as what the grade was going to be that she was going to get uh, in response. And so now we've used this pilot as an opportunity for her to focus on the learning and not for focus on that end goal of just getting the grades. So I'm really excited about this, uh, this pilot class. Um, I'm also so thankful for the willingness of our administrators, our teachers and our parents to make that positive change um, and truly work to redefine learning systems and learning structures. That is fantastic, and I can't help to think that throughout most of the uh, uh, thinking that you've done with regards to the sharing with of uh, the examples, it really has been about eliminating some of the affective factors that really hold young kids from learning, and then removing some of the stigma that many of them have internalized, and in turn, it makes learning fun, and they become that much more successful in their endeavors. So truly appreciate the work that you and your team have been doing in California. This work, Dr. Jacobs, is not easy. You know, 18 months now we are with unusual circumstances because of the pandemic. Never mind the challenges that you already see when you're approaching this transformational leadership work as you've been doing in the school district as well. Can you share with our listeners some advice or strategies that someone who's interested in following in your footsteps might consider in order to take care of themselves when doing this work? Sure, sure. I'm, I'm pas passionate about public education. I hope that shines through in this discussion. And I, and I truly believe that education has that capacity to change lives, to list families out of, out of poverty and out of social oppression. Um, but we know that the system is designed to get the re results that it gets. And as an educational leader, we need to change the system. The problem is in the system. The problem's not in our students. The problem is not our parents. The problem is not the child's economic status or what's in their IEP or what was in their past. We as the, the school leaders have the ability to make the changes in the system. And, and my advice to any educational leader is to take risks and challenge the system to do what is right for kids. You're given the, the privilege and the opportunity to make change. Um, and my advice is to use your positional authority to make that positive change. I encourage anyone that's passionate about making positive changes in the lives of children to pursue education, uh, to pursue educational administration. It's tremendously exciting uh, and challenging, but you have unlimited possibilities and uh, opportunities for improvements in education. Um, I, I also encourage anyone that when times do get difficult, just to remember that dream and that, that focus of what your ideal educational system is and continue to look to that horizon 
uh, and keep your compass on what is right for all children as your essential guide. And without that, um, you can't go wrong because you're gonna make sure that the kids come first and foremost. Dr. Jacob, it's true, truly inspirational to have uh, you share with our listeners what motivates you, right? This is a real testament to your mission, your vision, and the commitment that you made as a professional in education. I often say in circles that I'm invited to, to speak that educators are truly a profession where they profess to make a difference in the lives of children. Dr. Jacob, thank you for joining us. And let me just personally add that it has been an absolute privilege talking with you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm Noe Ortega. Thank you for all who joined today at PDE Presents. Production and technical assistance provided by the Harrisburg branch of the Pennsylvania Training and Technical Assistance Network.